Good morning, Zio Church. It's lovely to be with you, albeit on video. And um, I thank God for technology because that makes me able to talk to you halfway across the world. I'm really glad to be talking about justice this morning because justice really matters to God. Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you for their love of him. I thank you, Father, that Zio Church is a church that is serious about showing the people around who Jesus is, that he is one that they can know because of his love and not because of the rules and regulations. So, Father, I pray that you will give us all revelation today, myself included, that we may hear and know more from you about how to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, I honestly believe with all my heart that God's heart is about justice. And truthfully, most of what I've learned about God's heart for justice began when I came to the beautiful British church and became part of it. Justice is one of the most pressing issues in the world today, and especially for followers of Jesus Christ. Children die of hunger. People choose between eating and education. Millions of people are walking away from their homes with their children, carrying a few belongings, risking death to get to a place that is safer than where they came from. Now, many never reach that safety. And of those who do, many never have the opportunity to fulfill their potential with a good job or a good education. You know, even in the UK, there are many economically deprived girls who miss a week of school every month because of lack of sanitary products. That's not justice. In November 2017, the Credit Suisse Bank reported that 1% of the world's population own half of the world's wealth, while the other half, 3.5 billion poorest adults, each have assets of less than £5,000. Those people account for 70% of the world's working age population and they own just 2.7% of the global wealth. That means that we are among the richest people in the world. You know, a couple of years ago, a UK boxer and an Instagram influencer gave their little two-year-old a party, birthday party, which cost £90,000. And when they were criticised, they said, we earn this money, we've got a right to spend it how we want to. Which is true, but it ain't right. Justice provides equity, not equality. Equality is everyone getting the same size box to watch the game. Equity is having the box you need to enable you to watch the game. There are multiple crises now at the gates of every culture and nation. War, famine, climate crisis are producing refugees in untenable numbers, increasing at the rate of more than 40,000 a day. Broken economies driven by greed People for whom the almighty dollar has far greater value than the life of one child, one refugee, one trafficked woman, one homeless person. Yet the Bible repeatedly makes crystal clear that God, God's heart is for the poor. When the prophet Daniel interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream about his future insanity in Daniel chapter 4 verse 27, he advised Nebuchadnezzar to break from his wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Godly leadership is merciful to the poor. 
And yet it's individuals rather than rulers who are showing mercy. The groundswell of ordinary people saying we've got to do better than this is reaching a crescendo and a significant number of those people are not Christian. Indeed, in many nations, the people most resistant, helping the poor, the refugee, the broken and the marginalised are Christians. Jesus told a beautiful story which has often been used just for Sunday schools but yet it's so relevant now for our time. Luke chapter 10 and verse 25 to 37 says, Just then a religious scholar stood before Jesus in order to test his doctrines. He posed this question, Teacher, what requirement must I fulfill to live forever in heaven? Jesus replied, Well, what does Moses teach us? What do you read in the law? The religious scholar answered, It states, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your passion, all your energy and every thought. And you must love your neighbour as well as you love yourself. Jesus said, that is correct. Now go and do exactly that and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the man questioned Jesus further saying, what do you mean by my neighbour? Jesus replied, listen and I will tell you. There was once a man travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho when bandits robbed him along the way. They beat him severely, stripped him naked and left him half dead. Soon, a priest walking down the same road came upon the wounded man. Seeing him from a distance, the priest crossed to the other side of the road and walked right past him, not turning to help him. Later, a religious man, known as a Levite, came walking down the same road and likewise crossed to the other side to pass by the wounded man without stopping to help him. Finally, another man, a Samaritan, came upon the bleeding man and was moved with tender compassion for him. He stooped down and gave him first aid, pouring olive oil on his wounds, disinfecting them with wine and bandaging them to stop the bleeding. Lifting him up, he placed him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn. Then he took him from his donkey and he carried him to a room for the night. The next morning, he took his own money from his wallet and he gave it to the innkeeper with these words, Take care of him until I come back from my journey. If it costs more than this, I will repay you when I return. So now, tell me, which one of the three men who saw the wounded man proved to be the true neighbour. The religious scholar responded, the one who demonstrated kindness and mercy. Jesus said, you must go and do the same as he. Now that story comes from a question by a religious man who was trying to get the rules right. He figures if he lives by the rules, he'll be acceptable to God. And we all fall into that trap sometimes and really easily. But Jesus is like, you want rules? Well, then tell me what Moses, the lawmaker, the rule maker, said. First one's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. The second is tied to the man's question. You've got to love your neighbour. This guy's like, well, who's my neighbour anyway? Bill and Jean next door. Harry, who lives across the road. You don't mean the whole street, do you? Jesus tells him, God sees everyone as our neighbour. Every one. We share the same planet and that makes us neighbours. 
Now, it's intriguing that not only were the Samaritans considered spiritually and socially inferior, but in verse 53 of the previous chapter, Jesus had been refused entry to a Samaritan village, offending James and John so much they wanted to burn the village down, and Jesus wouldn't let them. But then to add to that indignity, Jesus uses the Samaritan as the model of fulfillment of one of the two greatest commandments to a Christ follower. He challenges the guy who wants to do everything right, using the Samaritans as the example of someone who fulfills God's greatest commandment, meaning anyone who wants to follow him must be willing to love, care for, carry, feed, pay for, and protect someone who doesn't think, believe, or act the same as him. The responsibility for fulfilling the second commandment is on the believer, but anyone can fulfill it. Now, you know, rich, developed, post-Christian countries talk a lot, but they do very little about the desperate struggles of our neighbours. The top six countries hosting refugees are Iran, Germany, Sudan, Uganda, Pakistan, which all host around one million people, and Turkey, which hosts three and a half million people. Except for Germany, all of those are developing nations, which means they're poor, or they're certainly poorer than us. But what that also shows is the wealthier we are, the more determined we are to keep our wealth for ourselves. God doesn't have a problem with us having money, but he does have clear ideas on how we use it. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 9 and 10 in the NLT says, When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of vines and don't pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. Foreigners being people who think differently, act differently, live differently, believe differently. I am the Lord your God. God didn't mind the owner of the field living in a good house, driving a good car, going on holidays. But he wanted them to help take care of those who didn't have a field or a car or a holiday. The problem is that many of us live to the outside edges of our salary. Our finances are maxed out. When we see a need, we are so weighed down by financial commitments that we don't have room to manoeuvre. We don't have any money that isn't already designated. Our hearts are saddened and also hardened. We feel guilty because we shut our eyes to the needs because we don't want to feel bad. But our vineyards have been stripped bare. And when our lifestyle makes provision for other people's needs, God makes sure that we have enough for our own needs. Now, I realise it isn't easy to change the way that we spend. It may take time to get out of debt, to be able to free up a designated amount of money to, to give beyond yourself. You know, you might have to extricate yourself from financial obligations to do it. But ask God to give to you so that you can give beyond your own needs. Because God is willing to provide our needs. He really is. But I think that it thrills him when we ask for more so that we can provide for other people's needs. And when he does give you more, remember that you asked him to give more so you could pass it on rather than deciding, as many people do, 
that you need it for yourself after all. You know, the greatest enemy of justice is fear. Fear of not having enough, fear of losing, fear of whatever the things are. But, you know, fear doesn't belong in the kingdom of God. I want to introduce you to a couple of people who have really dealt with fear in these arenas. This is Carola Raquette, captain of the Sea Watch 3. She was jailed in 2019 after forcing her way through the Italian Navy blockade to bring to port 40 refugees that they had rescued off the coast of Libya. She was released after an international outcry. As of 2020, 34,361 people have died, making that perilous crossing. And it's many more since then. But this captain saved 40 people from that fate. Now let me ask you this. Is she a priest? Is she a Levite? Is she a Samaritan? I don't know. But she ended up in jail because she refused to stand by and do nothing while there were men, women and children in the open sea in tiny leaky boats in imminent danger of death. This is Professor Scott Warren, lecturer in geography at Arizona University. He spends his time hiking into the desert in temperatures over 46 degrees Celsius. I'm talking like 115 degrees in Fahrenheit to leave water and food for refugees. He faced up to five years in prison for that. Now let me ask you, is he a priest? Is he a Levite? Is he a Samaritan? I don't know. But I know that he and others regularly walk five to ten miles into the desert carrying five-gallon drums of water and food to leave for people for whom the treacherous journey across the desert is preferable to the conditions they live in. Now, in the last few years, the No More Deaths organisation who leave food and water in the desert have personally found 32 bodies. In the last two decades since the Border Patrol was introduced, 7,000 sets of human remains have been found in the desert. But over almost four years, the Border Patrol have destroyed 3,856 gallons of water left in the desert to save lives. You know, I don't know the answer to the problems in our world, but I do know that turning our back on suffering and scrolling past painful posts isn't the answer. I don't know the answer to the overwhelming tsunami of millions of desperate people fleeing their homes. But I do know the answer begins with how can we help, not how can we stop them getting into our country and making life uncomfortable for us. See, the call to have compassion on the stranger the refugee, the person who is different to us is unreasonable coming from God. But I have found that my God is totally unreasonable regularly 
It was unreasonable when he called Rick and I to live a very safe, cushy, good lifestyle in Australia to move to England. But you know what? It was the best thing that ever happened. It changed my life. And one of the things that opened my understanding to was the way that the British church cares for the poor. And, and yet it always seems to me that the reward for work well done is more work. And so as he's called us to care, as the church has risen to that call, he's calling us to rise again. He calls us to be like him, to feel the pain of other people. The God who became a refugee because his stepfather dreamed that Herod was going to kill all the baby boys and they had to get out of there, he felt the pain of the world that he came to save. These are his values. It's what Jesus does. And then he calls us to go and do likewise. And we have got to let ourselves feel rather than keep scrolling or change the channel, which we all do at times. There is so much pain in the world right now that we can hardly bear to look at it. We can hardly bear to care. We, we risk compassion fatigue, yet he calls us to care. He calls us to let justice matter. It's a phenomenal thing. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 3 says, identify with those who are in prison as though you were there suffering with them. And those who are mistreated as if you could feel their pain. The Aramaic translation actually says, as if you were people who wear their bodies. You know, this little piece breaks my heart. It's hard for me to read it without weeping. If it was your son, you would fill the ships all by the millions, acting as a bridge to get it through. But don't worry, he's just a child of lost humanity, of dirty humanity, which makes no noise. He is not your son. Sleep peacefully. It's not yours. I have grandchildren that are about that age. If that was mine, I would fill the ships to try and rescue that kid. Martin Luther King Jr.'s favourite quote was Amos 5 verse 24. But let justice flow like rivers and righteousness like never-ending streams. He was a man who laid down his life for justice. And all over the world, people are laying down their lives for justice. Are they priests? Some of them. Are they religious people, Levites? Some of them. Many of them are Samaritans. People who don't believe in the way that we believe. Or maybe don't believe in any God at all. But they love their neighbour. The command that's linked with loving God. Now you know what? Jesus is coming back. Signs of that are all across the world. I don't know if he's coming back in 10 years or 100 years or 1,000 years. But I do know this. I turned 70 last month. And I've got this much time before he comes back for me. This much time. Far less time now than I had to begin with. And so have you. Whatever your age, 
You only have a finite amount of time until he comes back for you. That's vital. James says that pure religion isn't just staying clean. It's about looking after the marginalised and the vulnerable. And we have to work out how to play our part. I know that we can't do it all, but we can do something. Nelson Mandela, that great fighter for justice, said, Sometimes it falls on a nation to be great. Sometimes it falls on a generation to be great. You can be that generation. We can be that generation. Where God is at work doing something astonishing. 